0: This is the MLW Radio Network. Welcome to WHW Monday. Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of world championship wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett promotions. And now let's go to the ring. Here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson.
1: Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When with Tony Shivani. Tony, what's Woo! going on, man? How are you?
0: Hey, Conrad, and
1: hello, slap
0: dicks around the world. It's good to be back with you here on a Monday. We're going to talk what happened when. One of my favorite years, 1992, and the reason it's one of my favorite years, Conrad, as I've watched Halloween Havoc. Once again, I was one skinny son of a bitch back then. I was good looking. Tell you what, I would have fucked me back there
1: <laughs> oh my gosh well, well there you go it's too bad you had that button on a fur coat though <laughs> yeah you're not kidding that's a shame Absolutely. Absolutely. well hey hopefully we sound a little better this week guys we need to apologize our last two weeks we taped here at the conradison right before we sat down to tape we made some adjustments here in my studio I made a rookie mistake. We didn't test it. It didn't sound as awesome as we'd like to, but we've worked hard this week to make sure we sound as good as we can. And uh, no, we don't sound perfect. Fuck, I'm a redneck, and he's Tony Schiavone. How good did you expect it to be?
0: Well, uh, truth be told, I'm a redneck, too. I come from a much smaller town than you do, Conrad. Much smaller. Craigsville, Virginia. At the last check on Wikipedia, it was like 960 people. So, talking redneck, we're talking backwoods. Hillbilly redneck for me. I'm so hillbilly. I thought at one time I was a Tennessee Volunteer fan. So just a couple of rednecks messing up, but uh, we'll try to turn things around this week.
1: So if you're from a town that size, does that mean that Lois is not only your wife but also your cousin? <laughs> no,
0: uh-uh. I never had any cousins that good looking. Oh, uh, the whole time. <laughs> no. She uh, actually Lois was an army brat, and I met her in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, and uh, when I first started doing baseball, so she was kind of a city girl. You know what? Here's a here's a story. The first time I ever ate Chinese food, right. I was I was 23 years old on a date with Lois. How about that? Wow. I never ate that Chinese stuff before. What are you talking about? Chop sticks. Shit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh that was me, gosh. man. I was that was me on the that. first date
0: with Lois. The good news is that even though I couldn't eat with them chopsticks, I did get laid that night. Woo! On
1: the okay. second date? First. First? Wow. First, yeah. She knows she what will. she
0: likes. Yeah, well, apparently so, and that's why I married her, because I was saying there ain't no way I'm going to have another good-looking woman this good-looking when I have sex with me, so I went for it all. Anyway, that's, uh, that's another story, and I'm sure glad she's not listening right now.
1: Well, I tell you what, she did bust your ass on Twitter this past week. Well, did uh, she ever? There was a huh. picture of uh, Deborah sitting yeah. in your lap from WrestleCon, yeah. and I guess uh, you got maybe a little too excited in the picture, and she tried yeah. to shut that shit down. Yes,
0: yeah, she sure did. She absolutely
1: did. So, uh, are, are we are we allowed to talk about Deborah anymore, or is she banned? No, we
0: can talk about Deborah. I, I got to see her, and uh, God, she looks great. Uh, and I got to see Medusa, and oh my God, she looks great. Uh, and I got to see, uh, uh, Marlena. Oh my God. Does she look great, man? I was, <laughs> I was just, I would just, well, look now you're laughing. I know what you're thinking. And, and everybody's out there thinking, oh, here's that old fat ass from hillbilly from Virginia is being a creep again. Well, uh, well. uh, Deborah McMichael and, and Medusa and, uh, Terry Boatwright, Marlena or, uh, Alexandra York. They were all my friends. And here's something, here's one thing that Lois understands about me. When I was growing up, my best friend, when I was growing up was a girl. So I've always been able to get along with women. It's it's, it's not a creep thing. It's not a, uh, it's just the way it is. I get along with women. I get along with women. And you probably knew that from hanging out with me during WrestleMania weekend that I get along with women better than I did with men.
1: Well, it's probably because you try to hug every woman you meet and tell every guy you meet that he's a sack of shit slapdick.
0: Well, and that's probably usually true, okay? I mean, I probably got along better with Bruce's wife than I did with him, okay? Uh, and, if, you know, my son Chris was with us, and obviously I get along much better with his wife than I do my son. So it's just a matter of female versus male.
1: So um, now now that we've kind of uh, spilled the beans, so to speak, and that you've met Bruce's wife, Stephanie, yeah. do you think for the good of the show— you know, we could do an old Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, ABC version of what happened when wife swap and let Bruce live with Lois for a week and you live with Stephanie for a week. I mean, that feels like a really good spinoff opportunity.
0: That sounds good. And I think on the surface it would work, but I don't think Lois has been out of this house since 97. So I don't know if she even knows where the door is. So, uh, Mm. and that... And that's not my fault. That's just the way she is. You does not want to go anywhere. Uh, but, yeah, Bruce reminded me that he had dinner at my house when I lived in Connecticut back in 1989. And Lois and I were uh, trying to remember that. And I, and I said, well, you know, it was just some asshole from the office that we had dinner with. She said, oh, yeah, I remember him now. Uh, so, but it was the first time I had seen Bruce in forever, and it was good seeing him. We had a great weekend. Great weekend! Great weekend to meet the fans. Got to got to know George Gray, uh, the one man gang. He couldn't believe it. He said, "Everybody coming by is talking about that damn podcast. That damn I ought to have a podcast." I said, "Well, then then start one, George. Jesus, come on now." And literally, I told you this a hundred percent of the people who came by said, "Enjoy the podcast." And my son Chris, Shivani. Went on a cruise this past week, and there was somebody with a Shivani shirt on the cruise. Oh wow! And, and Chris had a shirt, and they walk. And Chris has one of the shirts, and he walked in. They looked at each other, and the guy said, "You listen to that podcast?" Chris said, "Yes, I do." And his his wife said, "Well, that's his dad." So that, I thought that was a big deal. So uh,
1: that's awesome. I'm excited about that. Yeah, very Absolutely. cool. Well hey uh, you know who else listens to the podcast that I didn't know, but uh now I do know they listen, and that's Lady Blossom. All right. Yeah. She messaged me uh on one of the social medias and mm-hmm. I asked if she could come on our show, and uh-huh. I said that uh we didn't have guests on our joint show, but you maybe had a private show that you'd love to have her on. <laughs> See
0: well, I, let me just say this. I got along with Lady Blossom, too, because as you know, by <laughs> she now. She had
1: blonde hair and big boobs, so. You no,
0: know, I get along with females, okay? I'm, it's not a, I just do. I'm just overall based on, un, 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 uh, unlike most people had read about me on the Internet, and uh, certainly you have found out now, I'm just a nice guy, Conrad. Mm. And if you don't believe that, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Well, let's get into it. Let's get into what happened when WCW presented Halloween Havoc 1992. But before we get to the show itself, let's do a little bit of a build-up. Let's set the stage. The August 2nd TV taping was a big show. Jake Roberts makes his debut and uh, Ron Simmons beats Vader for the world title in about 10 minutes. Prior to this change happening, Vader had been advertised to defend the title against Sting But Jake debuted from the crowd and gave Sting two DDTs on a chair, which forced Sting to be carried out on a stretcher and, of course, unable to wrestle in the main event. So what should you do? Well, you should have Bill Watts and Grizzly Smith draw a name out of a bowl to decide who will wrestle Vader. Ron Simmons wins the drawing and wins the title of the title win. Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer, supposedly neither Vader nor Simmons knew for sure about the title change until they got to the building that night. The best thing about Simmons winning the title is that hopefully they'll never again, never again, never again do we have to hear this promotion do outdated race baiting hype every time an African-American gets a title shot. They did interviews in the building until about 1 a.m. after the show for airing as early as this weekend, and there were implicit instructions made not to bring up the subject of race relating to Ron Simmons winning the title. WCW held a press conference in the CNN Center on Tuesday afternoon, introducing Simmons as the new world champion. Tony, we talk about uh, Watts a lot on this show, or we will, I'm sure. We'll probably talk about race two. Uh, but for now, do you think Ron deserved to win the world title here, or was this just a PR move more so than the right call for business, at least in your opinion?
0: Well, I'm not so sure it was the right call for business. Uh, uh, Ron looked great. Was a good worker. uh, I thought was a very decent talker. Uh, Did I think he deserved this push at that time? No. I I don't know if it was a PR move more than that's what Bill Watts wanted because Bill Watts had had success with.
1: Junkyard Dog in Mid-South. Yeah, Yeah.
0: right. Junkyard Dog in the Mid-South and pushing black wrestlers. Uh, I I don't see why we, we have to turn this into a race thing. I think uh, the fact that they gave him the title shows the world to me that Bill Watts was not a racist and with Bill maybe in private he was, but shows the world that he thought that uh, you could make money with a black champion. What's wrong with that?
1: Well, in theory, the goal would be, at least based on what you read, he would think, hey, if we put the belt on a black guy, black fans will come out to support it. So let's sell some tickets to some black folks and let's make, quote-unquote, one of their own the champion. And that worked for Junkyard Dog in Mid-South, and seemingly that was the plan here. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yeah, that's that was the plan. No question.
1: So let's talk about Jake Roberts coming into WCW. Uh, Meltzer wrote, apparently, in order to get his release from the WWF that would allow him to work for WCW... Roberts gave up his rights to all future merchandising income since the stuff with his likeness is going to continue to be sold for a long time. Uh, Tony, on a scale of one to Judy Bagwell on a poll, how bad was this decision by Jake to let the WWF royalties go in order to come work for WCW?
0: It was a one. It was a terrible decision. I, uh, it was It was great to have Jake with us because I, I think you and I would both agree one of the best performers in the business. Sure. As far as being able to work and being able to talk of all time. Uh, But uh, let's face it, uh, and I I don't know, have you read a number about how much he lost in royalties? Uh, After that, it had to be a a lot of money.
1: It had to be a considerable amount. I know for sure that, you know, all these years later, Ric Flair does really, really well just on royalties. And this isn't happening when... You know, Rick is fresh off TV, so to speak. And he had the whole snake gimmick. I mean, he was one of the more iconic characters through the 80s. So this is probably a considerable amount. But here's what I have read. Allegedly, when Jake does this, he believes he has a big guaranteed money deal in place with Kip Fry. But, of course, Jake can't sign with WCW until he's done with Titan. So he's got to get released before he can actually sign this contract. So he starts working hard to get out from under Titan. And then when he finally does... Too late, now Watts is in control, and he says there's no way he's honoring the contract that Jake had been negotiating with Kip. So by now, Jake's now free of his Titan deal and has no place to go, so he has to just accept what Watts is offering, which is around a $1,000 a match. Yikes. Yikes. That's a pretty rough deal.
0: Yeah, it is a rough deal. And, you you know, Bill Watts literally walked into the WCW offices uh, one day as the new boss. No one saw that coming. I mean, Well, maybe Ross did, because I know he and Ross were buddies, uh, but I remember just being in there and all of a sudden he walks in, I'm thinking, holy shit. And then things changed a great deal. It was very much run by like a uh, a smaller business was run instead of giving away money. And, you know, listen, Bill Watts made money back in the old Mid-South days, by keeping a lot of the money himself, right? Uh, so he approached, probably rightfully so, he approached the money that, uh, that he was given to run a company with like it was his own money. Uh, and for better or worse, that was the way he ran things.
1: So when WCW first exists and, you know, Turner is buying out jim crockett promotions they kind of had an opportunity to go a few different directions and i want to talk about this in long form one day but they could have tried to be something different which was you know uh just as big and just as expensive as what the wwf was doing or they they could have tried to do something that was smaller but not going to lose money and still profitable but not compete necessarily And instead, they kind of went with another option, which is to say, we're going to try to do this, but with less money and shittier wrestlers and shittier production, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just a shittier presentation, not wrestlers. Um, So that just results in mounting losses. But one of the things I've always found interesting about WCW is there's so much fuzzy math, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the television income went on the Turner Home Entertainment books. And the pay-per-view income went on the Turner Home Entertainment books, but the cost associated with both of those shows went on the WCW ledger. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So really process that from a business standpoint. If you have to have this expense, this overhead, so to speak, in order to put these shows on, and these shows do make money, but you don't get any credit for the money that goes on another ledger, then there's no chance you're going to be able to show a profit. So, Bill Watts comes in from Jack Petrick, it's my understanding, to say, hey, just cut the losses. And somewhere in here, Petrick gets retired, whether that was his choice or not, and now Shaw and Bob Dew are in control. And they just want, hey, man, cut the losses. Figure this out. So Watts comes in and does a lot. And we're not going to get into all of it, but I really, really hope that you guys vote for something 1992 again so we can talk about that in the future because the stuff he puts in place is – Seemingly crazy, but I guess if you're trying to cut money, cut expenses, you do what you got to do. Let's talk about Jake, though. Uh, We talked about the debut. He comes out of the crowd, uh, gives uh, Sting a DDT on a chair, a couple of them, actually. This brings out all the baby faces, so Roberts pulls out a giant snake and all the faces scatter. So this is good news if you're a fan of that gimmick because Jake Roberts didn't do the snake gimmick prior to the WWF, and he's apparently carrying that with him here. Uh, Supposedly, Tony, this was kept a secret from the boys. Meltzer wrote, most of the wrestlers were shocked backstage when Roberts showed up doing the angle, even though it was generally assumed Roberts was the bad Bob on the August booking sheets. And there were some expectations that he would debut at center stage the previous Monday. Roberts wasn't backstage before the show began, and almost nobody even knew he was in the building or in town until he did the angle. Do you remember... Him coming in, what his reputation at the time was. Were folks excited to see him coming in? How'd they keep this a secret?
0: How they kept it a secret is now we're talking that uh, uh, Bill Watts is running the business. Very old school style, so it was very easy to keep a secret. Yeah. And basically he kayfabed everybody. I didn't know he was coming in. Uh, I think all of us in production, uh, and me especially, because I had been in the WWF when Jake Roberts was there. Right. I I was pretty excited about it. Now, his reputation... I always looked at it, his reputation, as what I saw on TV. Good worker, good sell, uh, great talker, uh, and a pretty good gimmick. So what the boys felt about his reputation, I don't know. Now, I know what, I understand what his personal reputation had been for years, and I understand that. As far as I'm concerned, if he can draw money for us and help us with numbers, uh, that didn't bother me at all.
1: Uh, Dave reports that uh, Halloween Havoc had been moved from Baltimore to Philadelphia for uh, reasons having to do mainly with satellite transmission problems. What the hell does that mean? i never even heard of such shit.
0: I've never heard of such shit either. I don't know where he got that one from. But if you can have a satellite transmission in
1: Philadelphia, Philadelphia, why couldn't you in Baltimore? Yeah.
0: Maybe they – I don't know. And they they did those via truck, so you just drive the truck from one to the other. Maybe – you know, maybe it just costs more yeah. to run an event in Baltimore yeah. than Philadelphia. That's what I'm thinking, and I i don't know, transmission problems.
1: Uh, Meltzer reports that uh, Jake has been getting huge babyface reactions at all the house shows except when he's matched against Sting. And Dave seems shocked by this, and I'm not trying to be armchair quarterback here, but shouldn't this have been obvious considering – that you debut Jake as a heel, people are going to cheer him because he's perceived as being a big star from the WWF. Shouldn't you have that's started hard. him as a baby face and then turned him heel?
0: Yes, you should have. However, that's not how Bill Watts did business. Bill Watts did business based on his decisions only and not based on what happened in the WWF.
1: Well, it's like when a guy in the WWF now, you know, if he's a heel, but people respect him and he goes down with an injury. When he comes back, he's a baby face, you know, a dozen years ago when triple H went down, uh, he comes back at the Royal rumble as a super baby face. He left a heel, but people were happy to see him back. He was a baby face a couple years ago. Same thing with Seth Rollins leaves as a heel. But when he comes back, even though they're trying to make him a heel, they're cheering him in his return because they're happy. He's back. So it feels Mm -hmm. like that's what Jake's going to get everywhere. His first couple of times out.
0: Yeah, that, and that's right, because WW and especially in Philadelphia yeah. or in Baltimore in the Northeast where the WWF is strong, was strong, is strong, to me it was, and, and again, I had been there, and I knew how over these guys were up there, to me it was kind of silly trying to make him a heel, but that's what Watts wanted to do, and not only that, I think another thing that Watts wanted to do, and, and it goes back to this, uh, in making Sting the star, and Sting was a star at that time, and, of course, as time went on, became an even bigger star. To make Sting a bigger star, you got to put him with people who can really work. Right. And and Roberts was one of those guys that could do that.
1: Mike Mooneyham writes that the locker room morale was very low at this point, and it was mostly centered around Watts. Uh, right. One top guy tells him, morale is the worst I've ever seen. Nobody's being paranoid, but everybody knows this guy's not going to pay. Um. And so we'll get into Watts a little later I'm sure on a different show in more greater detail but again his job when he comes in here is to cut expenses so he's going to try to do that everywhere he can Uh in the Observer Dave breaks down business year over year and I was fascinated by this uh from July of 91 to 92 uh It really jumped out at me. Prior to Flair leaving WCW in July of 91, they were averaging 3,490 fans at a paid show. Once he left, it fell to 1,305. Wow. Uh, By 92, (laughs) business is down another 28.6%. Overall revenues from year over year, from 91 to 92, this July mark, was down 47.6%. So it's no wonder to me. The WCW wants Watts to come in, needs Watts to come in and cut costs. Wouldn't you agree, Tony?
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think we all knew he was going to do this. And that was the way reason that morale was down. Yeah. Uh, Because I think everybody realized that Watts was going to cut costs. He was going to cut my salary, too. And that's something that we can talk about later. Um, But everybody knew that he was going to cut costs. Every know everybody knew he was gonna do things old school. And I guess they all thought the wrestlers thought that now with this new company, Turner Broadcasting, you know, we can make a lot of money. And now all of a sudden here we, Bill Watts comes in who ran mid South Wrestling. And some of the wrestlers probably remember the days I I was not in mid South Wrestling, but I understand I was talking to one man gang about this. They had some of the worst road trips ever right. in mid south wrestling. You really had to to the point to where you couldn't you you were working your ass off and not making much money. Uh, And here comes Bill Watson, old school style, and that's why morale was down.
1: In September, you guys did a Clash of the Champions, and this was a bit of an anniversary. It's Clash of the Champions 20. You hold it at center stage in Atlanta, and that only holds about 1,000 folks. But you guys only managed to draw 500. Uh, It did a 3.7 rating, which drew 2.9 million viewers, which was considered good. But Tony, when you guys are only drawing five hundred folks to a clash in Atlanta, I mean, you got to be working on your resume at that point, are you not?
0: Know well, I, I'm worried. I'm not working on my resume because shit. Where am I going to go? I'm not going to go back to the WWE. They didn't want me back. I tried to go back, and they didn't want me. Uh, what am I going to do? Do some uh, independent shows, and you know, it, it's not easy for an announcer who has done wrestling to do some crossover stuff. I've been fortunate since that time to be able to do some, but I was kind of stuck, man. I was worried. Worried even more when Bill Watts walked in, because when Watts walked in, knowing that he and Jr. had worked together and been a good friend, had been good friends, I thought my career was basically over. Right. Uh, uh, so that I was concerned about that, but as time wore on and I got to work with Bill a lot longer, that was not the case. Uh, and I, uh, I'm going to be honest, I loved working with him. Loved working with him. Uh, you know, the, look, the center stage sucked. Absolutely sucked as a wrestling venue. I know some. I've said that before, and, and we've had some responses on Twitter that said, I don't like center stage. How can you say it sucked? You had to work it to know what it was like. Uh, the backstage area was terrible, blah, blah, blah. It was just not a good place. It was not a good place to hold in a wrestling event. Uh, so I didn't enjoy being there, 500 at a clash in Atlanta. Yeah, I was worried about it, but what can you do, man? You just got to keep on doing your shit and drawing your paycheck and Hopefully something will change, and by God, eventually it did down the road, didn't
1: it? It sure did. Yeah. At, at the end of this Clash of the Champions special, you guys run a video promoting Halloween Havoc. Do you remember this video?
0: Uh, no, no. What what was it?
1: Oh, yes, you do. It's the little mini movie. Spin the wheel, make the deal. Uh huh. You don't remember this. No, I don't. This is amazing. Well, we're going to link it to the very top of our Twitter right now. So by the time you're listening, it's already up there. The poll will be up there, but then right below it will be the link to this. You have got to go out of your way to see this shit. You are not going to believe what you're going to see here. It's Uh a a little mini movie where Sting finds Jake Roberts, Uh and he presents him with the wheel. And uh, this is the most WCW thing ever. (laughs) And it gets lots of props in the Observer, but it is fantastic. Uh, I guess it runs about five minutes. So if you've got five minutes, uh, go ahead and cruise over to at WHW Monday on Twitter, and you'll see this. It's outstanding. It's
0: more WCW than the Desperados. It's more WCW than Cactus Jack having amnesia and not remembering his family. That's
1: what I mean. Those little mini movies and then like – the little mini movie with sting on the island with the British bulldogs, the white yeah. castle of fear shit all of that is so wc this this one here, yeah it's outstanding
0: okay uh i don't, I, I'm gonna, I don't remember it, which means I didn't work on it I mean I worked on a lot of that i i was all caught up in the desperado shit i worked on that man
1: let me let, but, me, let me run through this there's okay. there's a midget in this or a little person <laughs> sorry
0: a little a little sawed off run
1: and uh, at the end the mm-hmm. guys kind of go nose to nose not really nose to nose but they do like a stare off yeah and lasers shoot out of their eyes at each other you don't remember oh, this God. oh
0: no it sounds exciting already
1: It is. It's (laughs) outstanding. Uh, Freaking laser beams. There you go. So it's worth mentioning here that uh, Cactus Jack, who you just mentioned uh, in, in another little angle, I'm sure we'll get to one day. He is not on Halloween Havoc wrestling. He's there, but not working. And the reason he's not working is he has a torn groin and a badly injured knee coming out of the clash. So he's off for the Halloween Havoc Uh, And at this point, he only has about four months left on his guaranteed money deal with WCW. So people start to wonder, hey, is this the end of Cactus Jack? Um, Meltzer writes, Cactus had an unbelievable match with Rhodes on main event Sunday in a false Count Anywhere match that he won with an elbow off the apron. However, Cactus's body will never hold up doing matches like that with all the hard bumps on concrete. You have to admire his guts and dedication, and nobody works harder. But he's going to destroy himself. If he doesn't calm his style down, Tony, you were there for a lot of that. what did you think of Cactus's style?
0: I thought he was tremendous. I, I, uh, and I know it sounds odd now because I'm kind of linked to him. Uh, but I thought what made Cactus great was his, I thought his interviews were spectacular. They were different. They were oddball. Uh, and I, I just loved him. And I don't know. I Okay. During WrestleMania weekend, I was at the JW Marriott. I, I told you this story. Uh, most of the fans uh, don't realize this, but I was there meeting a friend. I had another friend there, and I went to the JW Marriott on Friday, I believe.
1: The JW Marriott was the company hotel, for those was of you the, who don't know was that.
0: was the WWE hotel
1: yeah. during
0: WrestleMania weekend. So I saw a lot of people. I saw uh, Ted DiBiase. I saw Medusa in the lobby. I saw Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, Arn Anderson, uh, Ricky Steamboat. I don't know. But as I'm walking out, here comes Cactus Jack. And I'm thinking, oh, hell, here he is. So I I have, a, I have my Georgia baseball hat on, my sunglasses on, and I put my arm around him and I say, hey, Cactus, longtime fan. He said, do I know you? <laughs> and I said, yes, my name is Tony Shivani. He went, oh, shit. I said, I said, you and I, I said, basically me more than you, because you're, your career is much more than Tony Schiavone's line. I said, but my career is kind of tied to you because people remember the butts in the seats line back then. And he said, yeah, you remember when you called me at the house and apologized and all that stuff? And I said, yeah, the fans. I said, I I guess the the fans never let me forget that. Many of the fans do. And I guess uh, uh, I'm kind of honored about that because uh, I guess it makes makes me feel like I was more important than I really was, uh, that I would have an impact in that. But he and I talked for a little bit, You know, he's having trouble walking around now, and that is because of the crazy shit that he did. There was one time we were at Philadelphia, and it wasn't this event, but we were in Philadelphia, and he told me, he said, I'm going to try to take a bump. The Philadelphia Civic Center had a balcony where the upper deck was. He said, I'm going to take a bump off of that down onto the floor, onto the concrete. And I remember saying, you know what, Mick, you're going to kill yourself. You're absolutely going to kill yourself, and it's not worth it. It's absolutely not worth it. He did crazy outlandish bumps because he wanted to do something different than no one did. Uh, His bang-bang interviews were great. He could talk. Uh, One of the most memorable performers of my career, without a doubt.
1: Uh, Dave wrote, uh, Jake Roberts is probably the best in the business on the stick right now, but in the ring, his main events are well below WCW standard main events. Would this be a fair assessment to you, Tony?
0: Uh, what is well below? What's what were WCW standard main events back then? I, I thought, and if, when we talk about this match, I thought Roberts was really good. I, you know, he did a great job in this match that we're going to be talking about of selling selling the shoulder, uh, and so I I I don't know what WCW standards are at that time. Dave Meltzer needs to tell me what that is.
1: Let's uh, let's talk about. Is that what
0: is that what he thinks they are, or is that what somebody called and told him they were? I I don't know. You tell me. I mean, with WCW standards, been Rick Rude putting aside headlock, uh, Masahiro, uh, whatever his name is, for five minutes. Is that the work rate you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. So fuck, fuck that one. Go to the (laughs) next one.
1: Uh, I can't believe I never heard about this. I can't wait to ask you, were you at the, uh, September 6th show in Dallas where a man in a Walker in his seventies pulled out a pistol and fired a shot? No, I was not. <laughs> so here, here's what happened. September 6th, it's Dallas sting and Nikita are tagging against Jake Roberts and super invader, which is Hercules okay. and a man in a Walker in his seventies pulled out a pistol and fired a shot. Uh, he either shot the ground and the bullet ricocheted and went through the ceiling or someone grabbed his hand as he went to shoot and slammed it down. So he shot the ground. Anyway, the man whose name wasn't released was taken to a mental hospital afterwards. He had been a regular at the sportatorium for more than 30 years and had no previous incidents. Um, and everybody of course bailed out of the ring, but you don't remember ever hearing about a gun being fired in WCW.
0: I do not. I don't remember that. I can remember my Uncle John uh, taking his steel cane and hitting Greg Valentine over the head with it. Uh, but uh, I don't remember shots being fired. And this guy, if he was taken to a mental hospital and released afterwards, he probably could have gotten a front office job in TBS.
1: I was going to say, it's a wonder y'all didn't follow him on his release, him yeah. it into any we- movie, and then set him up with a feud with Cactus Jack.
0: <laughs> yeah, lasers coming out of his gun. Yeah. And lasers. that. <laughs> right. You know, I want to thank you, Conrad You have turned my life around And you've let me relive the years A reminder of how fucked up That we really were at times
1: You got paid for Thanks. this shit, isn't that crazy? No, isn't that something? It something? It's amazing <laughs> uh, Johnny B. Bad, who was a mainstay in WCW During this time He's also not going to be on this Halloween Havoc show We're talking about He's out with a blown out elbow um, We are going to talk about The tag titles a lot Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham won those NWA and WCW tag belts from Dr. Death Steve Williams and Bam Bam Terry Gordy on September 20th at center stage. So they went about 20 minutes, and it got a two-and-a-half star match, uh, which ended when Wyndham pinned Gordy after Rhodes bulldogged him. So this was Williams and Gordy's last match before leaving for a four-week tour of Japan, and then they'll be back uh, three weeks prior to... They'll be back in time for this tag team tournament and then, of course, Halloween Havoc. Um, they announced, though, that Gordian Williams were supposed to take on the Steiners at Halloween Havoc. Uh, but Rick Steiner was injured on September 23rd when he had a pectoral muscle torn from his sternum. So he had to have surgery in Birmingham. And the ironic part about this is... Had he signed the contract that Bill Watts wanted them to take for less money, they would have been responsible for their own medical. So he would have had to pay for his surgery and rehab out of pocket because he didn't and stood his ground. WCW picks up the tab. He's going to be out about six weeks, which means he'll probably be out for the duration of his contract. And everybody expects at the end of that, that the Steiners are probably gone. Uh, But we'll cover what happened in the meantime. It also comes out in the Observer here that and uh, the, if they go if they go to seven games in the World Series, it will be head to head with Halloween havoc. How the fuck does that happen, Tony? The thought
0: was that wrestling fans are going to watch us and not watch the World Series.
1: but why 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 roll the dice there?
0: I was always told by Turner Home Entertainment that we didn't have a choice about where if we wanted a pay-per-view in October that was the date that we had I was told that we were told that by cable operators
1: I see I understand
0: okay now what uh, that could have been a, just bullshit but that's what we were told because I mean uh, listen I can I can remember I can remember Halloween Havoc 91 the Braves and the Twins in the World Series crazy. 92 yeah 92 Braves and the uh Blue Jays crazy I can re- yeah, crazy. I can remember in 93, the Blue Jays and uh, the Phillies. Uh, 94, there was no – I mean, I can remember I can remember where I was for the World Series based on where I was for Halloween Havoc. It's just silly. Yeah, it's stupid. But, hey, it's WCW.
1: Can you imagine a scenario where Vince O'Han runs a pay-per-view head-to-head with the Super Bowl?
0: No, I can't remember. But I think Vince had a little bit more stroke with cable operators than we did. And we shouldn't have because we were fucking Turner Broadcasting, That's what I'm for saying. crying out loud.
1: That's what I'm saying. I just think WCW didn't care. Turner didn't care.
0: didn't. They, no, they didn't. They didn't give a shit about us.
1: Um, I found it interesting in my research. I was able to discover what front row tickets were for Halloween Havoc 1992. And considering what they cost now, and if you haven't checked in a while, Ticketmaster sells front row tickets. That's what they call platinum seating. So you pay a premium to sit in the front row, and they don't just let it go for just the regular standard price. Yeah. It's like 1000 or 1500 bucks for a yeah. front row seat to a WWE pay-per-view in 2017. Guess All how right. much it was for Halloween Havoc in 1992.
0: For Halloween Havoc in 92? Yeah. Uh 100 bucks.
1: 50 bucks. <laughs> 50 bucks your front row. It's amazing to yeah, me.
0: I was way overpaid then. Uh here's I'm with that price in mind, uh one man gang and I were talking about wonder how much a ringside tickets are for Wrestlemania so I looked on Ticketmaster couldn't find any I looked on StubHub oh, there crazy. Was, yeah it was one ticket for sale for ringside Wrestlemania I showed it to George $5200 on StubHub selling the ringside ticket for Wrestlemania $5200 yeah. I don't know if they got it but Jesus
1: it's probably uh, more than anybody got as a pay per view payoff for Halloween Havoc 1992 <laughs> yeah, absolutely,
0: <laughs> absolutely.
1: Uh, Watts puts down a new policy starting with Halloween Havoc 92. And for this pay-per-view, all pay-per-views moving forward and clashes, uh, he decides that all the matches must be significant in that matches, no more throwaways and squash matches on the big shows, which is a contrast from the way they've been doing it. And he also wants clean finishes top to bottom, similar to the way new Japan had been doing their big shows. And he had kind of kicked around the idea of putting Barry Wyndham in the office. Barry Windham had just turned 32 in July, and they had talked about forcing him into retirement. Ultimately, that doesn't happen, but they do want to start grooming him for the office, so they let him be assistant booker with yeah. Dusty Rhodes. Do you remember this transition that Wyndham tries to make here?
0: Uh, yeah, I remember the transition he trying to make into thinking that, you know, that Barry never really wanted to be in the office, I don't think. I remember Magnum TA being in the office with us. Why you do remember you, that?
1: I, I do. Well, why do you think Barry Windham at thirty two? I understand they're trying to find something for Magnum. Not being disrespectful, I get it. Right,
0: right, right, but, right. And Magnum and, and Dusty were very tight. Right. So, so Dusty he took care of Magnum, and he, well, he should have. So,
1: why do you think um, there's any sort of discussion when when he's thirty two years old? About Barry Wyndham working in the office.
0: Maybe Barry went and said he'd like to do that.
1: This seems odd to me. Yeah, it does.
0: And to, to me, there, you know, I, and on this pay per view that we're about to discuss, uh, there was a talk about a youth movement, and Bill Watts was big into the youth movement. You'll hear a lot of impact, high impact wrestling, uh, and Bill Watts was big into that. So I guess maybe Bill Watts had thought that Barry was a little bit too old at age thirty-two, and he was old school, second generation, and they could use his. Uh, it's well, you know, use his smarts. Barry was uh, again like a Jake Roberts, a great worker. Oh, for uh, sure, yeah. So,
1: uh, lots of uh, turnover here in the office. Guys wanting to leave. Guys wanting to come in. But uh, it comes out that Shane Douglas, Eric Watts. And Dustin Rhodes are going to be pushed as the top baby faces, mm-hmm. um, and they also, in an effort to cut down on some expenses, start demanding that uh, wrestlers carpool together in groups of four to cut down on overhead. <laughs> so and now, then, now you now you
0: know why things were bad, right? As far as morale was concerned, just another one right there, right?
1: Dusty Rhodes starts coming to the uh, house shows, and he's monitoring those quite a bit. And he's picking up these duties after Bill Watts drops in on a house show and apparently is furious and dresses down several wrestlers uh, and then even starts instituting performance fines. So if he doesn't think that your match was as good as it should have been, he will fine you $1,000. Now, hmm. the top guys at the time are making $750 with a performance bonus of 250 if they're any good. But if you have a bad match, you went in the red. So it's a wonder why... People are unhappy. Yeah. Uh, but
0: apparently Turner didn't care because that's what they wanted.
1: Yeah, they wanted they wanted overhead cut, and they wanted, you know, big production. And there's a whole story about Brian Pillman and Bill Watts we'll get to that most of you know, but there's so much detail that I didn't know that I can't wait for us to cover, but this isn't the time. Brunar Martino though, is on Halloween Havoc, which is our topic today, and he does color on the WCW show that airs on September 26th. And on this same show, I believe Tony, you did an empty arena interview with him and Dave says it's one of the best babyface promos he'd seen in a long time. Uh, do you remember how that came to be and how you guys put that together?
0: Don't remember how it got it put together, but I remember the interview and and the reason it was one of the best babyface promos in a long time was is that Bruno was one of the great baby faces of all time.
1: He um he supposedly is reached out to by Watts who wants right. to use San Martino's relationship to help get him buildings in the Northeast. Do you remember right. that? Yeah, I
0: do. I do remember that.
1: Why doesn't that come about? Why doesn't San Martino agree to do that, you think?
0: I, I just don't think that he wanted to uh, push his weight around with getting buildings. I, I San Martino loved the business, but I don't know if he really wanted to get involved in, in that. And if, if you want to try to use Bruno San Martino as somebody who... Uh, is getting buildings, you know, you're going to go up against Vince. It's a losing proposition to try to go up in the Northeast and get buildings. It is.
1: Even with Back- Sam Martino, you think?
0: Yes. Yes. In 92. Absolutely mm. it is.
1: Hmm. Well, okay. Um, there's a subtle heel turn for Scott Steiner on TV, and they do this when he wins the TV title. And they're doing this despite telling Scott that there are no plans to turn him heel. But they allegedly put the TV title on him to try to make it easier to negotiate with him about whether or not he'll be pushed. The following week, the Steiners have a meeting with Watts, and remember now Rick has a torn peck. They're trying to negotiate with Watts, and Bill ain't having it, so they storm out. And they have follow-up conversations. Uh, the ones with Rick apparently go well. The ones with Scott not so much. If you know both guys, that's probably not a surprise. Right. Uh, the conversations are about whether or not WCW will own their names because Steiner is not their real last name, and or first name either, rather, in the case of one of them. And they don't want to be on a four-month renewal clause. They essentially agree to a $50,000 pay cut, and everything mm-hmm. is mostly agreed upon except the medical coverage. That's a real sticking point for the boys. Rick had just torn his pec the year before. Scott had torn his bicep, so they both missed a lot of time. And eventually, when no resolution is made... Steiner is supposed to drop the title on October 14th in Dothan and he notifies them two days prior that he can't wrestle for three weeks because his doctor says he has a thigh bruise. So he's doing this to try to put the kibosh on dropping the belt, breaking them up, turning one of them heel. They want to stay together. They want to be baby faces. They don't have anything to do with it. So now it's understood that the Steiners are done, and they're going to the WWF, but they want Scott to drop the belt on the way out. Do you remember any details about this?
0: I remember no details about it, with the exception of I, I know how unhappy they were, and I knew that Scotty had, uh, you know, decided not to do the job. It, it, it could have been handled much differently by by Bill, I think, but Bill kind of stood his ground on shit, and yeah. so did the Steiners.
1: Well, and some of it he backs up on, you know, he, uh, he forces all the guys to move to Atlanta. And if they can't move to Atlanta, then they have to pay their way to get there. He's not paying for travel from anywhere other than Atlanta. Mm -hmm. He's instituting performance bonuses. Uh, he's asked rude to restructure his contract. Um, so there's lots of that stuff that goes on. He even does, uh, a buyout with Jimmy Garvin. He wants Garvin out of his contract, which is $186,000 for 17 months, he offers him 180000 Garvin takes it. So does Michael Hayes. Uh, Michael Hayes then signs a new reduced contract to do mostly announcing. Right. But to me, when Garvin gets a $180,000 lump sum, it's got to be some sort of sign that while things may be bad, WCW's not going out of business because long-term, it wouldn't make any sense to write a guy a check for one eighty. Right. If you feel like you're going to go out of business in the next 17 months and you won't have to pay him, right, right. Yeah It goes back to something I
0: talked about earlier on one of these uh, podcasts that uh, I think we all knew that that as long as Ted Turner was around, they were going to kind of stick with this. Right. Uh, so I don't think anybody was concerned about WCW going out of business right then, although as I've said before, I knew that it was inevitable that it would
1: well and And uh, i was fucking right wasn't i no you were and and it's because maybe because of shit like this here's a wcw story for you uh the control center that aired on saturday listed Rhodes and Wyndham as the tag team champions about an hour before the match where they beat gordy and williams to win the titles for the first time uh the match was decent but seemed to lack in real excitement until the finish that's dave Meltzer's report who was in charge of shit like this, of making sure that what you're showing on TV is at least in chronological order and you're not giving spoilers in your own show?
0: Yeah, well, there was one time it happened uh, during Eric Bischoff's reign, uh, and I was responsible for it. And I uh, I had some people working under me that I uh, depended on, and they let me down. Uh, this one, I don't know. Uh, the control center, did they air on TBS? I don't recall. Okay. If it aired on syndication, it was probably my fault. But if it aired on on TBS, I don't know whose fault it was. Uh, We just had terrible communication in the company. That's all. Terrible communication in the company. We should have never taped shit like that beforehand. Never.
1: Michael Hayes, in his new role, is going to work on entrance music for wrestlers. And he's going to do a lot of this with Jimmy Papa. WCW's putting together their version of a wrestling album, and they're calling it Slam Jam Number 1. Uh, It was put together with uh, Grand Theft Records in Texas, and all of this new music was supposed to debut at the pay per view and at the Clash that followed that. And uh, they would start selling the album in the wrestling magazines and do videos and stuff like that. This seems like, you know, something Vince McMahon would do, obviously, since he had done the Pile Driver album years before. But it seems curious, the timing here. If we're in cost-cutting mode, how do we have money for this horseshit? Yeah,
0: yeah. there's no answer to that, is it? No. No, there's no answer to that at all.
1: Uh, Dory Funk was hired uh, to scout new talent, and uh, Greg Valentine was brought in to work TV taping with Sting. But when he saw that he wasn't on the future booking sheets and it was just a four-minute job to Sting here on TV, he walked out rather than do the job. Um. We've often heard in the WWF that when you bring a new guy in, Vince wants you to lose early just to see how you'll react. Right, that's true. Was that one of Bill Watts' M.O.s, or why do you think he would bring him in and have him lose his first match like that?
0: Well, I think uh, doing the job to Sting, again, an effort, because Greg Valentine was still a name, an effort to pump Sting up and make Sting a big name. I don't think it was any test for Greg Valentine to see if he would work full-time. I think they just wanted to use him to put Sting over.
1: Buff Bagwell was not on Halloween Havoc because he had broken his nose in a match. Uh, He was supposed to be working with Van Hammer against Diamond Dallas Page and Vinny Vegas, or at least that was one of the initial ideas. And uh, as we start to really build towards uh, this main event type NWA world title match with Masahiro Chono, Medusa does a segment every Sunday talking about Chono, and they show clips of Chono's wedding and him playing soccer with his kids But they don't show any complete matches from Japan with him. Uh, Whose decision would it have been to not show matches and instead show soccer and weddings?
0: It would have been been Watts' decision. Bill ran everything. I mean, Bill was absolutely in charge of everything. Uh, It would have been his decision to do that. Does that make any sense? No, of course it doesn't make any sense. To me, and I know a lot of people love uh, Japanese wrestling. To me, this thing with Chono, NWA, and uh, and didn't mean bullshit. It meant bullshit. It was fuck. <laughs> it meant fucking nothing. It meant the, the the slap dicks that were ringside in Philadelphia didn't give a shit about Chono or Sasaki or any
1: of those dick licks.
0: Nothing. <laughs> right? They didn't. Oh my gosh. How how old were you in '92?
1: No, I turned 11. I was 11 okay. for this show. Were
0: you, watch, were you watching this stuff at 11? Fuck no. Okay. What were you doing at 11?
1: Anything but this. Really? Yeah, this Teacher. was not a good year. Uh, you know, I, you had me till like, the summer, okay, and then had I, me the summer. I, I, t- I took the fall off. I was done with this horse shit for a little while.
0: So you, you walked out when Flair left, right? Is that what you're no, kind of saying?
1: No, I was watching then. That was 91. I mean, like. Your Beach Blast stuff here—I remember very well the Iron Man match from Beach Blast, and well, I know you remember that show for the bikini deal, but no. either way, I remember yeah. that really okay. well. Okay. Uh, I remember this main event here, but some of the undercard stuff—it's fairly forgettable. Okay. Uh, well, J-
0: what, what I'm trying to get at is that you, as 11-year-old, an 11-year-old kid who was into WCW. Did not care fuck all about New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> they did not. No. They didn't give fuck all about it. Now Meltzer and the Rags may have cared about it because they probably went back in the bathroom and jerked off to the shit. But Ooh. I'm telling you right now, fans, regular fans didn't give fuck all about it.
1: Coming in a little hot today. <laughs>
0: Your eyes widened up when I said that. Dude. Well,
1: because I don't know if you saw or not, but Vince Russo went on a rant where he called all the dirt sheet guys gay. Who did? Vince Russo.
0: Did he really? Mm-hmm. Called him gay?
1: He said for them to be this excited about another man, they've got to yeah. be gay.
0: Oh, I'm not going to say anything about sexual preference. I'm just saying I, I use that as an analogy.
1: No, no. I'm not saying that, but you just said these guys go in the bathroom and jerk off.
0: That's so. an analogy. They're just excited about it, Okay. They probably didn't really, I hope they didn't jerk off about New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> I don't know. I hope they didn't, but that was an analogy. Hyper- Certainly, you 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 know what I'm talking about. And and I know what you're trying to do to me again. What? You're trying to paint me as a dipshit. But that's fine if you want to do that.
1: I'm not trying to paint you as anything. I'm just wanting to get clarification. I don't want people I did. to misquote you. I, did,
0: I didn't say all the dirt guys were gay. That's not true. No, Vince Russo said
1: that. Not you. Vince
0: Russo said that, and... Listen, I don't I don't care about anybody's sexual preference,
1: except Deborah McMichael's. You care about hers a lot
0: to a certain extent. I do. You know, I I do understand that you and I started this thing on January 30th and coming up on June 6th, I will have been married 36 years. If I make it to 37,
1: it'll be a fucking miracle.
0: It'll be a fucking miracle. Thank you very much.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Now, it's not because of things I'm saying
0: Uh, It's because things you're pushing.
1: Pushing hell,
0: yeah! You're pushing. You're okay. pushing me. to Say, well, so, so, hey, I want to talk about this match. Well, why don't we talk about Deborah's tits, Tony? And then all of a sudden, I think whoa, about her tits. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa! I yeah. never said Deborah's tits on this show. What did you say? Well, I just said Deborah and Michael, and you got really excited. Okay, that's just the natural course of things. Uh, yeah.
0: Did I tell you I, I saw Medusa at WrestleCon?
1: Yeah, she's actually tweeting me about you now. So. Yeah. I think he you know, got I think he got a shot there, brother.
0: I love her, man. She showed me her tattoo on the on the uh, on her lower back. And she said, "You ever seen a girl look this good in her 50s?" And I went, "No, no I haven't." Thank you very much. I hugged her and I love Medusa. How,
1: I long, did. how long did you hold that hug for? Uh as long as she would let
0: me. And I don't know any I, Okay, 6.5 seconds. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Cool. Where the hell were we in this? What are Jake we talking? Jake Roberts missed several okay. house shows for a concussion, uh-huh. uh, but then he straight up no showed Chattanooga, leading to this havoc show. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you remember any of the problems that started to develop with Jake here, and did his reputation sort of precede him in that regard?
0: Yeah, it did, but I don't remember. I don't remember problems uh, again. House show things were kind of out of my realm. If something happened in a house show, I normally did not know about it. So.
1: All right, guys, it's time to talk about Halloween Havoc. We're about to get cooking with Grease here, so go ahead and pull up WWE's Network, and uh, we want you to go to the timestamp, 2 hours, 31 minutes, and 48 seconds. We're going to do something fun here in a few minutes, but we're going to give you a minute to get there. So WWE Network, Halloween Havoc 92, 2 hours, 31 minutes, 48 seconds. Let's talk about the card Uh, Overall, Meltzer's poll from the fans gave it 7.2% thumbs up, 87.6% thumbs down, Mm. 5.2% thumbs in the middle. What say you?
0: Uh, I'd say thumbs down, especially after, as we started going towards the main events. I think it started, I think it started incredibly, uh, I think it started with the Wyndham uh, and uh, Dustin match against Austin and Doc. I thought the heat was great. I thought the fans were into it. But all of a sudden, when that match hit, everybody started sitting on their hands and didn't give a shit about it. And then it went down from there.
1: Best match poll uh, winner was Brian Pillman, Ricky Steamboat. Worst match poll winner was Rick Rude, Masahiro Chono. Uh-huh. Meltzer writes, things are really bad. It's not just Halloween Havoc. It's not just TV ratings hitting record lows. It's not just the WWF canceling house shows left and right. It's not just WCW, not canceling house shows, but not drawing any fans. What's bad is the wrestling business is in a tunnel and there's no sign of light at the end. WCW seems like a runaway train without a conductor headed straight for a wall. Mm -hmm. And that wall may be called battle bowl, but it's probably just called 1993. WCW is in a state of systematic destruction Halloween Havoc wasn't the worst pay-per-view in history, although it was among the worst. During the 91 Bash, it was like watching a promotion take many steps down the road to oblivion. The second half of Havoc was the visual example of watching the fat lady sing for the promotion. Based on every imaginable criteria to judge, Watts' reign thus far has been a failure. The live show in Philadelphia drew an estimated 7,000 fans. Best guess would be to be close to five thousand of that paid and around an eighty thousand dollar house are almost the identical figures that WWF drew at the spectrum the previous weekend. The gate was probably the largest of the year for WCW. War games in Jacksonville was the biggest house thus far in ninety two at seventy two thousand dollars. So overall, when you guys, you know, are scrapping and everybody's saying things are terrible but then you draw roughly what the WWF does the prior week because yes they're still trying to counter program. You you guys are running the Civic Center so a week before they're going to try to get the wrestling fans money at the Spectrum. Right. But it's pretty much an identical house. This has to be viewed as hey business may be down but it's not that much worse than them, right?
0: Yeah. I I think business uh, I think it was kind of viewed that business was down everywhere.
1: Cyclical. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cyclical and uh you know I think we all know how Tremendous the uh, WWE was in the 80s, how they, you know, Hulkamania and everything. And things were just downright, right down right then.
1: So in the uh, the dark match, Eric Watts tags with Van Hammer, and they beat Vinnie Vegas and Diamond Dallas Page after about 12 minutes. When Watts pinned Page with an Oklahoma side roll, it got a negative one star. So process this. On one side, you've got Kevin Nash and Diamond Dallas Page, two Hall of Famers. On the other side, you've got Van Hammer and Eric Watts. Mm hmm.
0: <laughs> I'm processing it.
1: Uh, the Corny Open here is the yeah. uh, same open, or very similar yeah. open, to Halloween Havoc 1990 that we talked about before. And I found it odd that you guys are back in Philadelphia again. It feels like whether it was Jim Crockett Promotions or it was WCW you guys kind of like to stick with one town for a big show. So Great American Bash every year was in Baltimore, um, and then eventually Starcade was in Nashville, and then in Washington, D.C., and then here it feels like Halloween Havoc is starting to become a thing in Philadelphia. What was it about Philadelphia that you guys liked so well?
0: It was, uh, well, Philadelphia's always had a tremendous fan base, great reception. Uh, Not only that, there's a lot of, when you're booking towns and booking venues, there's a lot of things that go into, you know, pat on the back, you know, hey, we'll come here on a regular basis. We'll have our big events here. And the people of the building say, we want to have you here. We'll do this for you, this for you. So it's all basically on handshake deals and trying to cultivate uh, good relationships. And it's all kind of based on uh, back at that time still. And I know TBS was big, but it was also important that you would have a local syndicated clearance in that town to be able to promote it as well
1: so you welcome us to the show and you're with bruno san martino yeah Uh, you are you are not rocking your your lipstick here why'd you leave your lipstick at home
0: well uh because it was the bill watts era (laughs) he didn't want to have anything to do with that shit uh and not only that uh i think if you'll recall by looking at this, I was a rather handsome young man back then.
1: You've mentioned that a few times. Jesse Ventura was in a mask. He's dressed up. Nobody yeah. else is. I yeah,
0: mean, well, Jesse did what the hell he wanted to do.
1: Missy Hyatt was, too. But why, uh, why, why did <laughs> he get to wear your lipstick that you love so much?
0: I, I, just probably because I couldn't find a shade that day. What the fuck are you talking about? What are you trying to go with here?
1: No, I just, you like the Phantom outfit. People well, like did, the I Phantom outfit.
0: Do, I didn't need to do it twice in a row. So there, move on. Keep going. Bruno's- I just thought I just thought I was very I, and to be honest with you, it was it was and this has nothing to do with lipstick, cocksucker. But it has to do with uh, the fact that I was uh, I was pretty thrilled to be working with uh, Bruno. To be honest with you,
1: so how was he to work with?
0: Great guy, tremendous guy to work with. With me, uh, now I've never had to be in a room with a finish with him or, but he was very very. And for him to call me Tony was a big was a big moment, I thought. And, uh, and again, I go back to my days as loving wrestling from back when I was younger. Wow, here I'm working with Bruno San Martino. Big deal. Two Italians. We love each other.
1: Should have brought the lipstick. Um, so let's get to the first match here. We've got uh, Shane Douglas tagging with Johnny Gunn. Uh, Whose real name is Tom Brandy, who most of you know as Salvatore Sincere. Uh, He had a little run in in the WWF. Uh, They have another tag partner, and they take on Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, and Michael Hayes. Uh, Who's the guy that I skipped in the match here?
0: Let me see. Tom Zink, the (laughs) Z-Man. Why would you skip him?
1: Well, I just wanted you to get excited about something and have a little bit Uh, of a high spot here.
0: Yeah, Tom, Tom Zink is uh, a fine-looking young man. Uh, uh, Johnny Gunn was a good-looking young
1: man. <laughs> uh, the yeah, well, yeah,
0: hey, can I say this? You can call I can call a guy a good-looking young man, but if I call a woman good-looking, you know, half of the people on Twitter are going to say, you're a sexist. You can't even call a woman good-looking anymore. Did you know that? Have you noticed that? Do you know that Did you've th- talked about in the, the In the NCAA tournament, Jim Sparnarkle said... I uh, know better than to argue with a good-looking woman, and he took heat about it on uh, on Twitter. Can you believe that? What the hell is the world coming to? So I'm going to say that Tom Zink is a handsome man. Salvador Sincere is a handsome guy when he was Johnny Gunn. I can say that, but if I call Medusa good-looking, ooh, don't say that, you fat son of a bitch. You uh, be seen as a fucking creep. So anyway, where, where were we here?
1: Arn and Eaton are super over with this Philly crowd, but, man, yeah. did they hate Gunn and Douglas. Eventually, yeah. Gunn makes the hot tag, uh, and then they do the uh, six-way before hitting the finish. The crowd hmm. booed this finish, which was a Luthes press um, right. on Hayes. They booed it heavily. Hayes is mostly doing commentary here, but they dusted him off for this. Uh, two and a half stars, according to Meltzer. What did you think of this match?
0: I was I was shocked that uh, that they let uh, Johnny Gunn. Get the win. I thought if they're going to have Shane Douglas be yep. one of the young superstars, he would have had the win. Mm-hmm. He, would have, he would have gotten it.
1: Supposedly, uh, Arn and Eaton are on their way out, too. Uh, he feels like he, being Watts, so feels like they're making too much money. They're making like 260 and 170, and mm-hmm. he wants rid of them. So I yeah. was surprised that they lost, though, uh, or that they didn't take the pin rather than Hayes. But I guess if he's just going to do commentary, it doesn't really matter. Right. Next up, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, fresh off losing the television title. uh, pins Brian Pillman. Uh, This is the best match on the card. Uh, It goes just over 10 minutes. They did a double reversal uh, coming off a cool uh, sunset flip off the top rope by Steamboat. Uh, Meltzer says the action's very good, but it seemed as if they were just getting started when they went to the finish. These guys could have used a little more time to do the pay-per-view quality match. This one looked to be on paper Still, at this point, the show was pretty good, three and a quarter stars. I thought it was a pretty good match. It says a lot about the talent depth of WCW at this time when your first match on the card has Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton, and your second match has Ricky Steamboat and Brian Pillman.
0: Yeah. Uh, go back, uh, everyone, and watch this match again, and you'll see why Ricky Steamboat was one of the great performers in our business, not necessarily because he could could do some great things, but because that some bitch could sell his ass off, man. And he sold in that match. And again, if you sell right, you're putting your opponent over, and therefore if you beat your opponent, then you've beaten somebody. Right. And That's what made Ricky Steamboat great.
1: Uh, next up, we get uh, Bill Watts coming out to uh, give us some good news. He throws to Missy Hyatt. She does her shtick of trying to find out who is going to be the heel referee. Uh, She was uh, good at
0: that. She was good at that, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I wanted to see, uh, you know, because the the gimmick here is Rude gets to pick and Chono gets to pick, and there'll be two referees. And um, essentially, they pick uh, Sasaki to be the ref for Team Japan. Teddy Long is here for this part, too, which is kind of hysterical. And then Bill Watts comes out, as Meltzer describes, for his get-himself-over-to-the-marks interview. To announce that Terry Gordon was suspended, Terry Gordy was suspended for a contract violation and would be out of the tag title match. Now, in reality, he quit that day. How's this come about? You were there. What happened?
0: uh, Yeah, I was there. He just, he he quit. He just had one of those things that Watts, a guy didn't come to terms. Terry Gordy didn't give a shit. Terry Gordy could make money in Japan, you know, so fuck, fuck off. I don't know if this was Bill Watts coming out to get over with the marks or not. Bill would just like to be on TV.
1: Well, he um, he being Gordy is replaced by Steve Austin.
0: Yeah, I know that a guy named Terry Gordon was denied his ringside seat as well.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Um, That's just me. <laughs> you called him Gordon, and I was just trying no, to no, be no. funny. Yeah, I thought you were
1: going to go to something funny.
0: No, I was not. Okay, cool. I don't, have funny, I don't have something funny every time we turn around.
1: No, I can tell you're not in it, the fucking best mood today. Really? So Harley Race is going to be the heel choice. They see him yeah. going into Rude's um, dressing room. Uh-huh. And they announce here that there's been a court injunction and that Rude wouldn't have to wrestle twice. And they are going to instead allow Big Van Vader to wrestle Nikita Koloff to defend Rude's U.S. title for him. Uh, so the story here is Rude's the U.S. champion. And he's getting a shot at the NWA title, but they don't want him to wrestle twice. So they've got Vader taking the responsibility for him. Uh, so the next up we've got Vader's destruction of Koloff. And, uh, this is kind of fun for what it was. I liked it. Meltzer says it destroys the title credibility when a champion can pick someone to defend the title for him. But here he is. Here's Vader who had put on a little weight since the clash of the champions. He had been out of action with an injury. Uh, And um, he's back here now working and wins with a powerbomb. Just around 12 minutes, and it gets two and three-quarter stars. I think Nikita is critically underrated, and and I love Vader. I thought this was a fun match for what it was.
0: I loved it. I I agree. I love this match. I think Vader uh, could move as good as any big man. Uh, And uh, the fact that you go back and look at that match, how he picked up that chair and really socked Nikita with it, Uh, how Nikita did a great job of selling uh, the sickle that hit the ring post, how Vader did some of these great moves and uh, 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 some slapdick in the stands threw a a beer and hit Vader with it, and Vader just shrugged it off like a big monster. I thought this was a great match. I thought it was a great put-over match for Vader. I don't know if it destroyed the credibility of the title, uh, but as Meltzer said, uh, but what is credibility anyway in our business? Uh, and uh, I-, I thought it was a great match. I really, I really, this was my favorite match of the whole card.
1: Next up, and let's process the talent we've ran through so far in the actual matches. I, I can't stress this enough. Shane Douglas is a good performer. Uh, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Ricky Steamboat, Brian Pillman, Nikita Koloff, Vader, and now uh-huh. this: Barry yeah. Windham and Dustin Rhodes taking on Steve Austin and Doctor Death, Steve Williams. Uh, which is kind of fun because you've got two guys whose real name is Steve Williams tagging. But what a crop of talent, and we're just four matches in so far. This match goes a long way. It goes to a 30-minute draw. Uh, Lots of really, really good action here, but for whatever reason, the fans just aren't into it. The storyline coming into this was that Wyndham and Rhodes were having problems. They do a very brief interview in the back where Wyndham says, no, that's not true, we don't have any problems. And the announcers try to acknowledge it a little bit, but... There doesn't seem to be any problem with the work necessarily. Uh, Rhodes did bleed in the match, but he didn't, you know, gig himself. He He was just reopened from an accident that took place earlier in the week. Uh, And at some point, they do a false finish with a ref bump. That's about 28 minutes in. uh, And then the match keeps going. And then right there at the uh, 30-minute time limit, uh, of course, somebody has a schoolboy. And the pin doesn't count. So they brought for a little bit after Meltzer gives it three stars. It's a really good match, but for whatever reason, fans just weren't digging it. what did you think about this one? I thought
0: it really brought the whole show down. And I, and again, as you said, for what reason, I don't know. Maybe, uh, I mean, let's go back and take a look. Wyndham could work. Dustin could work. Uh, and stunning Steve would later on become one of the great stars of our business. I don't know if you can pin this on Doctor Def Steve Williams, or not. I, I don't know. Uh, but they, they, the fans weren't having any bit of it. There was no excitement for this match at all. Uh, so I, I can't, uh, I can't put my finger on it. But I know. I agree. I thought it was a pretty good match. It, you know, it was all. It was to me. It was always very hard to try to time out a false finish at the bell. You know, when the announcer is counting down three, two. It was, and I thought they did as good a job as they possibly could there. I think if you'll go back and look at that, I think the uh, the time clock went to zero on the screen before the actual bell. Uh, and why we even put a time clock on there, I don't know. If what you couldn't get
1: it right, it feels yeah, if you crazy. couldn't get
0: it right, yeah. the exceptions say, that's WCW. We're a bunch of fuckwads. Uh, but that's the only thing I could think of.
1: You know, it... Um in an effort to talk about this match, uh, I guess I somehow missed. We should talk about it. That was Nikita Koloff's last match, his match with Vader. and um, His last match ever? Yeah. He says that it was a uh, stiff clothesline to the head that did it. And I believe he had a Lloyd's of London deal. and yeah. He cashed out after this. He said that this blow from Vader herniated a disc in his neck. And I don't know if this happened... Before or after he broke the back of Joe Thurman. But it feels like the timing of this is suspect at best. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. When um, we see the Thurman injury happen, and now that everybody kind of knows that that happens, now Nikita's neck is hurt.
0: Yeah, you know, it, uh, you, you can't say that. I, It, it could have been legit. I don't know. We've got a Lloyd's London deal.
1: It just feels see, like... Now, I'm not saying I know what it Nikita. I know what it
0: feels like, but it, it's hard to even comment on that
1: did you have a conversation with him about his career ending injury this night that you didn't even remember till i brought it up uh no okay
0: well you know you you seem to think and some of the slapdicks seem to think out there that i was just like sitting on bill watts's knee when everything happened come on in we're gonna fire your ass right tony right bill you're fired fuck i was doing tv i wasn't booking some of the shit
1: I asked if you knew about a, a coworker being hurt and then you just span off into a Bill Watts diatribe. Okay. All right. What's next, fucker? Whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> you wanna talk about Klondike Bill chewing them panties?
0: Hey, you know there's a Klondike Bill sighting on that show. I saw it. Klondike Bill sighting. I knew you would. I knew you would. It was tremendous. And Klondike Bill also, you know, put the poll up for the uh oh, don't skip glove match.
1: Don't skip a hand. <laughs> All right, next up, we get the Polly Dangerously Medusa skit. It starts out like it's going to be Harley and Vader doing an interview, but then Dangerously comes out, thanks them for the defending uh, of the title for Rude, and yeah. says he's going to give half of the payoff uh, to them. So anyway, Medusa comes out, and after a brief, very brief, almost nonsensical buildup, she's fired by Dangerously, Uh, he basically called her a bitch and then did say that the other hooker he was going to use, which of course implies that she's a hooker. He continues with every put down you can imagine for women and continues to say, you're a woman. I'm a man, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so Medusa at this point is probably the most over baby face in the building. Everybody's ready for this. Uh, Paul shoves her and then Medusa kicks him in the head. He goes down. She starts wearing him out. And he announces that she's fired and she's nuts, uh, dangerously is going nuts on the mic. And this kind of wakes everybody up from the coma they were in from the 30 minute tag minute tag match that we just had, but this does not age well. Um,
0: no, no, it, it would, uh, it would not have happened today. We'd have been out of business today or I had to apologize for everything that Paulie said. But I we do need to say this, and and and, and I know fans know this. Freaking Paul Lee Dangerously could work that mic, couldn't he? Oh my gosh! Uh, oh my God! He was tremendous in this interview. And I'm not talking about what he said the the things, the bad things he said about the women. Delivery. I'm just talking about the delivery. Just absolutely great heel interview. It was tremendous. It was uh, he was just so good at this, uh, to the point to where I'm watching it again, and of course. If you go back and look at this, you'll notice that while this is all kind of going down, I'm running around like a little girl. Like, oh, i got to get off the stage. They're going to hurt somebody.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. When, this, when the beatdown happens, you just just like just squat saying. on the bottom left there. <laughs>
0: That's right. But I'm surprised that Medusa let it go on as long as it did before she kicked him.
1: Well, uh, she was milking it, and it worked.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure did. It was good. It was very, very good. Ta- well done.
1: Talk to me about... Um, the office at the time here, because I think we've got Dusty Rhodes, Bill Watts, and Ole Anderson all yeah. seemingly coexisting. I would never imagine that that could happen.
0: No, uh, when when you want to when you want to make money and you want to do business, I, I think guys like that will will let as the old cliché goes, "Bygones be bygones," and do business. Uh, and I don't think Ole was more uh, working on house shows and things like that. Uh, Dusty was booking, and Watts was in the office, so. Uh, that's how it kind of worked.
1: All right. So next up is the match that won the worst match on the show. Uh, at least in the observer, it's uh, Rick rude, defeating Masahiro Chono by disqualification after 22 minutes. So Chono retains the NWA title and Meltzer writes, this is the match that destroyed the show and the match that destroyed the NWA title in the United States. Um, he finds an interesting that these guys had seemingly the match of the year in their first match and now maybe the worst match of the year in their second match. Um, all the Japanese dignitaries are ringside, and maybe this makes no sense at all. Medusa, who was fired a handful of minutes prior to this, comes out with Rick Root anyway, and she's a babyface or yeah. seemingly would have been the biggest babyface because she just – destroyed Paul E and now it feels like Rick Rude has still chosen Medusa. So that makes Rick Rude a baby face. I don't understand any of this, it, but
0: it makes no sense at all. It makes no sense at all.
1: And, and, it, and then you've got a heel ref and Harley race and he's calling it down the middle.
0: Right. Absolutely. It makes no sense at all. I, I think what we're, I think what is trying, what's trying to go on here is we're trying to make this a legitimate match. With yeah. Harley Race being a legitimate champion, and in effect, we didn't do anything at all. You know, Bill Watts was very, very big on legitimacy for the title, and and that's why this all took place. In reality, you didn't you didn't need to make anything legitimate. I didn't uh, think you were smarting up anybody.
1: About 19 minutes in, uh, a fight breaks out in the crowd, and everybody yeah. in the building just looks to that. Do you remember anything about that fight?
0: Yeah, I remember it going on over on our left, and I got up on the stage to look at it, and it was just a, a bunch of slap decks fighting. If you go and you watch, you'll see Harley Race. He wants to see it, too, because he kind of backs and turns to the left. He's calling the match as the uh, as the uh, referee, and he's trying to watch the fight as well. And even Jesse referred to it. It's
1: amazing. Uh, so,
0: yeah, it is amazing. That shows you how much the matches sucks. You got the NWA world title on the line, and they would rather see fans fighting over on the right.
1: The finish comes when Chono kicks Race in the face after Rude ducks, and so Race goes out of the ring. Sasaki tries to help him up. Chono throws Rude over the top rope, and Rude lands on both guys, knocking them down. Rude gets back in, hits the Rude Awakening, but there's no ref to count. Chono makes a comeback, catches Rude in the STF. Sasaki jumps in the ring and calls for the bell. Apparently, to signal that Chono is the winner by submission, although neither announcer acknowledged the word submission even existed. Uh, and then Race overruled Sasaki and declared Rude the winner by the Q. Yeah. So, kind of a screw job finish. It gets the distinction of being one of the worst title matches ever on pay-per-view. Meltzer writes, truly a disaster in every way. Negative three stars. Uh, you alluded to it earlier. This killed the show, right?
0: Killed the show. Just, just absolutely killed the show. And it goes back to... I mean, both those guys could work. I think we all knew that, but I think that it was it goes it goes back to what Bill Watts saw for the company, and he wanted to make it a sporting event. Wanted to go back to the old time wrestling, and you know, we talked about you know everybody's got to have a, a clean finish in the ring or what. I just uh, it was it was just wrong. It was just absolutely wrong. No one gave a shit about Chono. Uh, people gave a shit more about Medusa than anybody else by that time, and they did nothing with her. Hell, he didn't have a close-up of her. No. And she looked great in that suit. Didn't even have a close-up of her. (laughs) Uh,
1: Next up, it's our world title match. And leading up to this, we saw lots of uh, training videos where Cactus Jack was training the Barbarian. And he had stuff like putting cinder blocks on his back and hitting it with sledgehammers. Um, Kind of interesting that they're trying to use Cactus Jack to give Barbarian the rub. Because Barbarian had certainly not been presented as a main event caliber performer in a long time. And now they're trying to make everyone believe that Ron Simmons is one here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that barbarian is maybe the right guy for that. Where was that footage filmed where they're showing cactus training with barbarian? Is they, that Dominic Danucci's you think? Yes, absolutely. That's where it was.
0: Listen, this was a job guy match.
1: It's a shame, but yeah, it, yeah, is. it, is.
0: it is. It is a jobber match. I love the barbarian. Uh, Always loved Ron Simmons, but it was a job match is what it was.
1: Meltzer writes, Barbarian is even less of a number one contender and only Uh caused to expose what Simmons wasn't. The match and lack of crowd reaction for a world title match brought this point home. The work was sloppy and the crowd was dead. There was a good near fall when Simmons kicked out of the diving headbutt, and this is one of the worst world title matches ever on pay-per-view.
0: No question, because it was, again... A squash match is what it was that went a little bit longer than squash matches normally go.
1: Ultimately, Barbarian takes the pin after a power slam from Ron Simmons. So, uh, a quarter star. And next up, we get an interview with Bruno Sammartino, Eric Watts, and Ron Simmons. The idea here, I guess, is that Watts is going to get the rub from standing along the world champion and a legend like Bruno Sammartino. Uh, but apparently it got a lot of people in the back fired up because yes. it felt like not only is bill putting himself on tv but now eric watts who hasn't paid any dues and everybody else is getting their money cut and their benefits cut and their medical cut now the sun is here and in a featured spot
0: well it's pretty obvious isn't it yeah i mean it's how more obvious can you be than what's going on here the the sad point of that uh, conrad is that eric watts was and is a great kid and he felt Eric Watts felt kind of, you know, I don't want to say embarrassed by it, but kind of felt uncomfortable with it. I mean, I, you, you obviously want to get a big push, but uh, I mean, he knew what was going on, and I knew Eric very well, and uh, so he, I know he felt uncomfortable about it. But you're not going to say, "No, Dad, I don't want you to push me." You're going to, you know, do what all you can. So, yeah, it, it was it was rough. It was really really rough. Let me say, go back and say something about the Simmons uh, Barbarian match. Uh, and go back and listen to that. As shitty as that match was, Jr. and Jesse did a hell of a job putting those guys over, man. Hell of a job to make that sound better than it really was.
1: Let me ask and you I, this.
0: I didn't realize it at that time, but now that I've gone back and watched it, they really did a great job.
1: Um, what's up with Jesse Ventura constantly rocking back and forth when he does commentary?
0: That's all. That's, that's his nervous stick. He always did that.
1: Always just when he's doing commentary,
0: huh no when he's sitting in, sitting in a seat talking to you, he's always like that, always rocking back and forth, like you and I are doing right now yeah but that that's, that's, that's the way that's that's how Jesse was, you know it was one of his nervous ticks was not just commentary, but that's just the way he is so, have you seen him lately no yeah he he does the same thing.
1: So let's talk about uh, what we're really here for. Spin the wheel, make the deal. The video, the little mini movie, is pinned right now at the top of at WHW Monday. Go check that out. Uh, They do a segment here on the show where they bring the wheel up from the ground. And um, it's actually pretty decent looking. And there's all these different matches on there. Um, I have a a couple questions here. Number one. What happened to the big elaborate set for Halloween Havoc? Is that just cost-cutting? You guys already had the shit. Yeah.
0: Well, it, we had the shit, but you got to have a crew to put it up. So that's cost-cutting measure.
1: Um, but then you make okay. this big fucking wheel, which couldn't have been right. cheap. Who, right. who made the wheel? Is that a Klondike wheel?
0: No, Klondike didn't make the wheel. That was some sort of set designer that made the wheel. Uh, and I, I remember thinking that I knew it was going to be a Myers glove match. I remember thinking that. We're going to fuck this up, too. <laughs> it's going to end up being something that we did not want, did not prepare for.
1: So the plan so. was on purpose for it to be a coal miners glove match.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they had something for that wheel to stop on coal miners glove.
1: That is amazing to me that of all that, the things on there, that's what you uh, wanted.
0: That's what they wanted. That's not what I wanted. That's what they wanted. That's what
1: the Bookers wanted. Uh, what Dusty and Bill Watts wanted. What is a Prince of Darkness match?
0: Uh, you'd have to have Kellerman Sullivan that. I don't know. That, that Okay, I know what a Prince of Darkness match. That was a match put in there uh, just for fuck all. <laughs> that's what it was. What were, okay, we got... Uh, how many we got? We got uh, six, seven. What other fucking match can we put in there? Uh, a Prince of Darkness. Okay, let's put Prince of Darkness match. That's, that's all. It was put in there for fuck all.
1: What was your favorite Coal Miner's Glove match before this one? Uh,
0: my favorite Coal Miner's Glove match was uh, uh I don't have a fair cold miners glove match you saying. it just seems
1: crazy to me
0: <laughs> yeah it, it is I, I never had heard of a cold miners glove match before this had you
1: no and that's why and i never think it's never so seen fun, and and that's yeah. what i want to do right now if you're, uh, if you're if you're able to i want you to go to the WWE network right now pull up that timestamp again it's 2 hours 31 minutes and 48 seconds you're in for a real treat today. You've had to put up with an hour of Tony saying, I don't know, bullshit. And now oh, bullshit. You're going to get bullshit. something great. Bull fucking shit. Right. Here. Not an hour of, I don't know. And I just don't have
0: an answer for everything. I can, I can lie to you. Well, that's what Bruce Bruce does, I'm, I'm, I'm And it
1: works out.
0: I'm going to be, I'm being honest with you. Fuck you. We?
1: <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. Kids. Uh, the Bob Saget of professional wrestling, Mr. Tony Schiavone, the voice Hello. of professional wrestling below the Mason-Dixon line, he is going to call the main event here. Yeah. Are you
0: going to be my color guy here?
1: Well, I don't, I'm not any good at this, but I can I can try to wing it if you want me to. But I'm going to be quiet and just listen until you...
0: I'm going to try me. to wing it. Try to, <laughs> that's what I usually did. I would try to wing it.
1: So here we go. Uh, Get your TVs right. Two hours, 31 minutes, 48 seconds. Tony Schiavone is back behind the mic and calling this match for the very first time because originally, of course, this is Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. Well, now we've got the the leader of slapdicks himself, Mr. Tony Schiavone.
0: Yes. Before we do that, Conrad, can I say this? Yes. Okay. I would like to say that uh, I was was very excited that we got a new box of uh, Blue Apron this week. Uh, because uh, as I'm getting ready to call this match to all of my slapdicks out there, Blue Apron, uh, Lois right now is in the kitchen preparing a great meal of Blue Apron as we speak.
1: Where she belongs, uh, and she's she's doing that with, um, you know, she does have pot holders, but she uh, doesn't have a coal miner's glove.
0: That's right. Hang on just a sec.
1: Lois, Conrad said you belong in the kitchen.
0: <laughs> Conrad said that, not me so anyway, that just uh, great food. It it's it's turned things around for us. We have uh, Oh it's a
1: strong family bond now that you guys can well, yes, motherfuck it is. each other. Yes it is. Over. and I have
0: actually I've actually gone in the kitchen and cut up some stuff too. How about that? How about that in the kitchen in the kitchen cutting up some uh some cabbage or cutting up some uh some apples.
1: Kilbasa <laughs> <No. laughs>
0: or, or or carrots. Uh, and, and again, th- this deal is for you listening to our podcast out there because when you start ordering Blue Apron, you're going to get hooked because it's going to cost you less than $10 per, mer- per person per meal. You can't get that uh, going out to eat. I know you paid for my dinner uh, on WrestleMania weekend. And it was a little bit more than $10 a person, wasn't it?
1: It was a little bit more, but I, I can't say that it was any better, especially when no. you've got menu items like uh, spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta oh. salada, or parmesan-crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli. It's good eating. It's affordable. They've got a great variety. You're never going to get repeats uh, on your menu. It's very flexible. It's easy. It's so easy that even Tony can do it. And the recipes exactly. are so easy that Lois can cook it. But best of all, it's guaranteed, which everybody needed for this shitty Halloween Havoc 92 pay-per-view. I wish there was a guarantee for that, but there wasn't, but there is for BlueApron.com. And you slap dicks get to try your very first three meals for how much, Tony? For free. How,
0: absolutely
1: free. How much is shipping, though? That's where they always get you.
0: There's no shipping. No what? shipping charge. You'll get a big box of your first week, uh, first week meals absolutely free. Now, that's three meals for your first week, you go to BlueApron.com slash Tony. BlueApron.com slash Tony. You love how good it feels, tastes, to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. BlueApron.com slash Tony. Remember, Conrad, Blue Apron, and we know this for a fact, in the Shivani household, is a better way to cook.
1: And he also knows how to call terrible horseshit wrestling matches from 25 years ago. And it's time to do it. Are you ready, Mr. Shivani? I am ready, sir. So let's go to two hours, 31 minutes and 48 seconds and press play right
0: now. Well, there we take a look at the glove on top of the pole. How fucking tall is that pole anyway? Holy shit. And look at those two cocksuckers at ringside. Jim Ross and Jesse, the body Ventura. And look at the kids. Look, uh, wow. What a great match. This is going to be Conrad. I'm so glad you could set your fat ass down here with me and call this action because we are getting ready to go with this coal miners glove match. Now let's, let's uh, let everybody know the rules. Once again, you got to go up the pole. Good fucking luck on that. You got to grab the glove and then you can use the glove to win the match. How- As you can see the the match has or the pole the glove has something around it, and I guess that's to break the coal up. I guess people from West Virginia would know that I don't know that that pole's got to be twenty foot in the air. there is no way anybody's gonna, look at that there's no way anybody's going to get up that goddamn pole ooh Jake the snake Roberts has made his way in from Stone Mountain, Georgia. man, look how pissed he looks. How much did I give up in w w e merchant fucking dice holy shit <laughs> and jake the snake roberts yeah, yeah it's funny jim ross had said during the course of this uh conrad that uh <laughs> that uh, and i laughed about this the it fact gives that, it we away. Have, <laughs> that we have anti cobra venom at
1: ringside what does he not have on him right now tony he does not have his snake on him right now, right? <laughs> well, he might have his snake, but he doesn't have the one in a bag on him. And uh... That's right.
0: And, and Jesse's wondering where the snake is. And now we await the arrival of Sting. And as you can see, we have a capacity crowd here at Philadelphia Civic Center. It's so full, we're not having the lights on them. Everything's in the dark. You can only see the people at ringside. And through the slapdicks comes Sting. And... I've, here's here's what I want to say about this. I hope Sting sells this match as well as he sold the wheel coming to the floor. Because if you'll recall, when the wheel rose to the floor, he sold that like he was scared to death of a fucking wheel. Yeah, Sting! <laughs> Ooh. All right. That guy doesn't want to be here. Yeah, fuck you. Let's look at that. Walk away. Told the camera get out of his face. Only in Philadelphia. Now, again, this is a non-sanctioned match, which means it's not sanctioned by the NWA. They, though, did sanction the Rick Rude and, uh, uh, debacle that we saw moments ago. But uh, what the fuck is Jack Tucker talking about here?
1: Oh, is he's he calling distracting spots. Him. He's going right Shit. up
0: the road. He's going right. He, no, he wants to get out. He's trying to get back to New York. He's trying to get back <laughs> to the WWE, and Sting <laughs> won't let him. He's got him up. Oh, my God. Match over. No, Jake's getting back up. Whew. I thought for sure he was going back and catching a flight to Stanford, Connecticut. But nope, Jake is back up. Sting is going to try to go to the poll. Can you believe how big this poll is? Klondike Bill, by the way, constructed this poll. He put this poll up, and I'll bet you that nobody in the front office told him how high or how low to put the pole. I can't believe anybody's going to get up the poll, but here we go again. A collar and elbow tie-up. See, I know the holds as well. Oh, he missed. And what is he trying to do, cover up here? Sting took this seriously. He, he really did. I, I think the reason Sting took it seriously is that he knew a snake would be involved. And I don't know about you Conrad, but anytime there's a fucking snake, I'm scared to death. Jake the snake Roberts up against the ropes. A whip in. Sting with a right-handed down goes Jake. Boy, Jake had the look, man. but not going towards the pole. Now, I don't understand why he went at first to try to go for the glove, and now he didn't try it right there. Maybe it's because when he got to the pole, he realized how fucking high up in the air it was. So now side headlock. As you can tell, the fans here in Philadelphia are kind of sitting on their hands right now. Uh, They have just seen two shitty world title matches, so why not stay on your hands for the main event? Oh, get your cold drinks. Staying up high, oh, he missed a drop kick. and Jake drives a knee into the back. Conrad, are you going to commentate this match with me or is it just going to be fucking me?
1: What I found interesting about this uh, setup here, Tony, is that it yep. appears as if the ring is crooked. Uh, the camera uh, is not shooting directly over into the ring. It almost feels uh, like the ring is not angled correctly, or maybe the camera is not your two cents no, okay. here.
0: Yeah, the ring looks kind of cockeyed, right? Kind of looks left to right like it's going downhill there.
1: Yeah. Uh, I had been to some events
0: in Cincinnati where the ring actually broke. So the ring, oh, over the top. No bats
1: around the floor here. That can't feel good.
0: Tough guys in WCW. Now they go to the the ring post. And Jake the Snake is selling the arm now. Where in the hell is Sting going? Going to the pole? No, he comes back through. I think Sting got lost there, don't you? Oh, and he pulls and pulls Jake again to the ring post one more time. Well, Jake's gonna have to sell this the rest of the match as he hits that ring post. And now Sting. Sting should have a free shot here to get the uh to get the glove, don't you think? Well, here comes Jake back in. Sting, way up top, reaching for it. He grabs him by the ass. He's got him. Oh, and he drops him down again. No coal miner's glove yet. A pickup, belly to back suplex. God, I forgot how shitty these matches were to call.
1: Hypothetically speaking, Tony, um, who would be your favorite two performers to see in a pole match? Climb a pole like this, and why is it Medusa and Deborah? Uh,
0: just because I love Medusa and Deborah, and I would. I know what you're trying to you're trying to make me a, an old horny motherfucker, but you're wrong. And they pull on the arm again. Sting working the arm. This is one of the things I liked about Jake the Snake. He had the great look, great talk, but the guy could sell as well. And I know what you're saying out there. Shivani is always big into selling, but doesn't it make the match better?
1: It does. And, and there's some logic here in working the same yes. body part the whole time.
0: No question. Sting stomping on the left arm once again, pushing down. Jake staying on the ring. and What's Jake the thinking Matt about right now? Up. What's that? What's Jake thinking about right now? Thinking about, oh, man, what the fuck am I doing back here? And how far is it going to take me to get up on the pole? Well, the good news is Sting is probably going to be the one to go up and get the coal miner's glove. But remember, once they get the glove, that doesn't mean the match is over. They they can use it. Remember, now over the top, and that normally would be a disqualification, but remember, this is not sanctioned by WCW. Now Jake is going to go up top. Jake's going to try to scale the pole Sting grabs Jake by the ass. Oh, Jake the snake. He he hit his venom glands. He (laughs) he sure did. And that is, oh, my goodness, on the turnbuckle, the steel turnbuckle that goes between the pad and the ring post. But look at Jake trying to get up. Jake, this is pretty good strategy here, holding on to Sting, knowing where he is, or is Sting stepping on his head? I can't tell from where we are. Sting goes right back to the shoulder once again. It's amazing to me that Jake the Snake can even get up on his feet after what has happened here.
1: Who's our referee today, Tony? I have no idea. There's the uh, ECW hat guy in the front is row. That, is, yeah, the ECW hat guy's in the front row. Two seats over from Vladimir. Super. Vladimir's
0: fan. there. Yeah, Vladimir's been around forever, hasn't he? Jesus. He's as old as I am. And Sting goes right back to the arm. So this guy is the ECW hat guy who's not even watching the fucking match right now? Would you be? Well, I I would have to because I would be calling it. I mean, Back has, on the arm once again. There we go. All right. Trying to work on the arm. Remember, this is the main event of Halloween Havoc, an event that started here in Philadelphia and had so much, so much momentum and has completely gone down the shitter from there. <laughs>
1: Fans are getting into it. Barking no, orders yeah. at Jake. They do not like Jake.
0: No. Fans say, come on, do fucking something. They would they just watch a Rick Rude headlock for about ten minutes. So they want some action. Oh, and out they go. Both men outside. Now remember, once again, non sanction, no disqualification. Anything goes, watch out. He's got a chill. Oh, sh- shit. Right on the back. That's going to keep Sting down for quite a while and maybe Jake the Snake can get back into this. But Both men are obviously winded. Jake just told the referee something. I'm calling the spot here.
1: What's Gary Michael Capetta doing on a headset outside? Uh, yeah,
0: I, I have no idea. Nothing else to do. No, Gary, they, they tell Gary when to say 10 minutes gone in the match, 20 minutes gone in the match, 30 minutes gone in the match. Okay? So Gary was a why do we keep shooting that pole? I thought uh, Gary was a very good... Uh, he's choking him, Tony. Oh, my God. What does he have? Wrist tape. Wrist tape? You sure that's not dental floss? It could cut him around the throat, and there's nothing the referee can do here.
1: Nothing at all. If it's not sanctioned, why is the referee trying to stop him?
0: I guess he's trying to... So he doesn't kill me. Oh. I mean, he's going to kind of murder that motherfucker. yeah <laughs> And, and the referee now says, okay, <laughs> out of here. So Jake now feels... <laughs> Jake now feels, well, <laughs> since I can't murder the motherfucker... Oh, and he missed the move. Sting just moved out of the way in time. And I sometimes I wonder why we... That there weren't enough people murdered. And Jake is... Rolling up on his front side. Uh, Once again, this is a match to make Sting a big star. And I I think Jake is doing a very good job here. Moving out of the way, the Stinger splash. Now will Jake try to scan the pole? Is that the right word, scan the pole? That would be a a scan would be a kind of a word that we would use uh, here in 2017, but not in 1992.
1: Do you ever have anybody scan your pole?
0: <laughs> uh, no, not since the 90s. And Jake is now going to go up. Well, God damn it, Jake. Don't talk about it. Go up. Let's go.
1: Still selling notice,
0: that arm. Yeah, you notice down the lower portion of your screen, there's Bill after. Oh, there's the DDT. Big pop. The right DDT. There for that. Yeah, big pop. Why? Because the move is over. And that should be it. With the DDT, that should absolutely be it. Jake should be able to go up and get the the glove. But he can't climb if his left arm doesn't work, Tony. Apparently not. But he's going to try. So here comes Sting back. There goes Jake up. Jesus Christ, Sting, get him. He, go- oh, he got him. I actually think at this moment in the match that uh, things are looking... Wow. What the hell? Oh! What the fuck was that? Was that,
1: <laughs> was that Sting doing a pole dance? Oh, my gosh. What's going on here?
0: Oh, I have no idea. It's Cactus Jack has come out. Oh, my goodness. That's got to be a snake in that bag.
1: This could be the Prince of Darkness match we were talking about earlier.
0: <laughs> That's got it. Oh, there's a fucking there's a- snake. Oh, my God. I hate a fucking snake. Sting's on
1: top of a pole. That's not a sentence she you thought you'd hear. He's got the glove on. <laughs> He's got the glove. I'm looking
0: at the snake. That's what she said. And now Jake is trying to get the snake. What? He's kissing the snake. Or what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Was that a away. pin? He pulled and do we away give a shit? Oh, my God. Is that, is that snake biting Jake Roberts on the, on the face? The referee is running away. Sting's saying, fuck this shit. <laughs> the heck with the coal miner's glove. Jake has got a snake caught onto his jaw. Who came up with this fucking finish? (laughs) Holy shit. It's hooked on, Tony. Look at there. There's blood. (laughs) Oh, my God. And Cactus Jack doesn't even want to have part of it. And we know Cactus Cactus Jack will do anything. The snake almost dropped off, but snake pushes it back on. Cactus Jack falls down. There's Klondike Bill. He's. Oh, my God. Holy shit. No wonder this thing was minus eight stars, or whatever it was. Give Jake Roberts some credit. He's trying to make this thing work. He's got to get to the back,
1: Tony. That (laughs) anti-venom that we heard about before we ever saw a snake. Oh,
0: holy shit, a moly. Look at Cactus. Cactus says, I want to help you, but fuck that fucking snake. Oh, my (laughs) God. In
1: 2017, will we ever see a snake just get manhandled like this on TV? (laughs) No.
0: No, they. Oh, and look at Sting.
1: What's he? It it feels like he's about to go do yard work. (laughs) Where are the shovels? (laughs) I mean, that's that's what you wear uh, when you when you shovel something. And uh, he just buried WCW.
0: Exactly. So here we got the end of a pay per view Halloween Havoc. Uh, You always should go out with the fans feeling good about it, right? About the pay per view. So let's go to these two fuckers to talk about it, and then we'll go to me with Bruno Sammartino to say something, fuck all. And here we go. All right, let's go to Shivani, because Shivani isn't worth a fuck. Okay, there you go, Bruno Sammartino. Bruno, I got, I got a question for you. What the fuck am I be doing on this paper? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Tony. From one wop to the other, I have no fucking idea. Bruno, good to talk to you. I hope you got a big payday out of this. This fucking event sucked. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I would fucking agree. All right. In 2017, years from now, we'll still say it sucked. Let's go back to the ringside area.
1: Well, so there you go. That'll conclude our fun little experiment today. Uh, Meltzer says that uh, Jake has a tremendous personality, one of the best in the business, but he suffered too many injuries to be able to work on top as a singles wrestler uh, in a group where fans expect action. Jake. I thought he he did pretty good. I I thought thought he did fine,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with Meltzer's assessment there, but I thought Jake did a very good job in that match. And I thought it, it was all working pretty well until the fucking snake gimmick. I, I just don't get that. I mean, that obviously was not a cobra, or Jake would have been dead. That was a snake, and the snake didn't even want to hook onto his face.
1: The swing so, around the pole from Sting was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. That and was, that I like the Cactus Jack running with the snake bag, but yeah. Ross really fucking... Showed his cards too early to me when he says, We do have anti vent. He doesn't have a snake with him. Why are you saying there's anti There's no snake.
0: He said that right at the beginning of the event.
1: Before the snake was even there. And, yeah, uh, right. Right. I don't understand this glove. And I just had fun and just Googled coal miner's glove and, like, one of uh, on a Google image search. And one of the very first things that pops up, like in the first row, is yeah. a picture from this match because yeah. that's pretty much all anybody knows. And I thought it was so hokey the way Roberts had to pull the snake to make it look like it was biting his cheek. Yeah. And then it clearly comes away. He has it off, but then he puts it back. And like right Right. in front of the camera. Yeah, right. Um, And uh, according to Meltzer, the the snake wasn't actually supposed to gnaw on Roberts' cheek and him bleed, but it happened. Um, It it got a quarter star in the observer and... I found it interesting that Bruno San Martino was here because he had been very critical of all things wrestling. And you've got guys on here who were clearly on the gas and there's some false, you know, some screw job finishes. And now you've got the silliness with the snake feels a little weird.
0: It does, but he and Bill Watts were good buddies and uh, he got a payday and, you know, so why not?
1: Prior to the show, there was a big rumor going around the WWF, and it was even reported in the New York Daily News, that Sid Vicious was going to be Rick Rude's choice as a referee. Uh, obviously, that wasn't the plan at any time. No. And uh, I, I always wondered, how do rumors like that get out there unless it starts with the talent, right?
0: Exactly. That's where it starts. It starts with the talent. And, you know, as the old, you remember, you know, the old line, the old cliche. How do you get the word out? Telephone, telegraph, tell a wrestler.
1: Ultimately, and, uh, though, as, as fun as this was, um, for us to call and and kind of poke fun at how bad WCW is going out of business, check this shit out. It got a point nine five buy rate, which was more than double the buys for the Beach Blast pay-per-view or the Great American Bash. In fact, it was the largest buy rate for WCW in more than a year. Yeah. That correlated to about 190,000 buys or a $3.8 million gross, which was one of the largest ever for the company. Um and what
0: did they, what did Battle Bowl do the next time though? Because that's what you kind of got to look at the next pay per view, I think. Because if you get a shitty pay per view, will fans want to come back and buy the next one?
1: Oh, no question, no yeah. question. Uh, but for us saying, you know, hey, this is it. Watts is shit in the shit in the bed. Well, it looks like you know he's cutting expenses and he's bringing in more, right? Um, And they know that this finish was not done well. Meltzer writes, the promotion itself had already decided the Sting Roberts finish didn't come off well since Watts taped an interview banning the reptile, most likely before the meeting even took place, which means Jake won't be using the snake anymore, even as a prop on interviews. Whether this is the case or not, I don't know, but there's been a lot of finger pointing going on to the poor quality of the second half of the Havoc show, But supposedly the finish was Robert's idea because he felt like them having a snake latch onto his face. The idea being that it wasn't supposed to bite him, just get near and Robert could control that, that it would be so shocking that the audience wouldn't remember that he had just done a clean job. And while there is truth to that assumption that people wouldn't remember, uh, they also don't remember that sting won, and he gets no benefit from winning at a time when they needed him to have a strong win since Sting had just lost two big shows. Uh, So the show ends here. It's a huge financial success. This is Jake Roberts' last WCW pay-per-view. He's on his way out. The Steiners are going to the WWF. Gordy has quit. Uh, Sting is losing a little luster. And uh, that next weekend, Big Van Vader would break the back of Joe Thurman uh, in either his first or second match because he didn't know how to take a powerbomb. And initially Thurman was paralyzed, but then Watts gave a speech to the guys a week later and said, that was a work, but don't be so brutal on the guys that are working as enhancement talent. So that's kind of your glimpse into Halloween Havoc 92. Uh, Lots of high points and low parts. I'll always remember the snake thing most of all. And then maybe after that, as crazy as it sounds, probably the Medusa Pauly thing. What stands yeah. out to you the most?
0: The Medusa Paulie thing to me was was the highlight of the show. And again, I go back to to Vader, uh, and and you know Vader beat up on these job guys all the time, but he beat up on Nikita to, there as well. I thought it was a. I thought it, that was. I liked that match a lot. I, that, but uh, yeah, uh, Pauly e. and and Medusa, paulie's work at the mic is uh, as good as better than anyone, and. Again, and, and fans will have to go back and look at this. Uh, yeah, the matches were shitty, but especially the Ron Simmons-Barbarian match. Listen to JR and uh, Jesse the Ventura uh, put those guys over. They made them seem bigger than life, and they made that match seem better than it was.
1: Who made the, um, the coal miner's glove for the company, do you know?
0: Yeah, Bill did, Klondike.
1: Um, do you know how Jake got along with his dad, Grizzly? because Grizzly's in the office here, and I know they're kind of estranged. Do you remember what their relationship was like working together here?
0: Yeah, they they didn't have much to do with each other at all. They pretty much ignored each other uh, during that time. Uh, Fans, go back and look at this. Uh, Grizzly was one of the guys that came running out when Medusa, uh, and Paulie had their little pull-apart. Grizzly was out. I think Mike Graham came out as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's well documented Jake's relationship with his father, which I didn't realize back at that time. Right. What what happened in the past, but I know that they just pretty much ignored each other, at least in front of the boys. They did.
1: Um. How hard was it to have two world titles on the show at the it, same time like this?
0: It made no sense. It made absolutely no sense. What
1: I mean, look,
0: the the belt that uh, Chono came out with was the belt right? and and it made the WCW belt look like a piece of shit in comparison. So belt wise, the NWA title was bigger but in reality if we're WCW, we want our title to mean more than the NWA title, right? Seems like a mess. It was. It made no sense at all. But it's just trying to be legitimate, trying to make it, instead of making it a A show, an entertainment show, making it a legitimate wrestling product, which in 1992 and even more so today, didn't work. No one bought it. No one bought grabbing a side headlock and grinding in and selling it for five minutes. No one bought that shit in 92. And obviously no one's going to buy it today. Wrestling business had changed. And Bill Watts, who I loved working for, was not ready for it to change in 1992.
1: Well, um, one thing that shouldn't have changed or maybe should have changed is they should have had Jake Roberts do an interview on the show. You know, everybody agrees that he's one of the greatest talkers of all time, and he doesn't even speak into the microphone on this day. It seems really odd to me.
0: Yeah, we, we never did have enough interviews. And if we had more interviews, uh, the Rude and Chono match wouldn't have been so long. Yeah, A lot of times that's why you do those interviews. You, but the, the way to get over was doing interviews. I mean, that was the old school thing. That's how Ric Flair got. I mean, Rick, we all know Rick can work, but he got over because he could talk. Dusty wasn't the greatest worker in the world, but he could talk. It was the interviews that brought you in that got you excited about the matches. We never had enough of those on any of our pay-per-views back in the old days, back in those days. And that was wrong. And obviously, when you're talking about Jake, it was wrong not to have him him talk. Give you a perfect example: spin the wheel, make the deal. I stood up there with my dick in my hand, holding out a microphone, thinking Sting was going to say something. He said nothing. Why did he say nothing? Why didn't he talk about it? Again, it's it's a lack of pre-planning, lack of organization. The, you know, now they rehearse everything. Back then, we didn't rehearse shit. We just talked about it, and obviously, you saw how things a lot of times came off shitty.
1: Well, let's get to uh, our poll because we want to make sure that next week's show is not shitty. And we want to hear from you. We've been having fun going year by year with WCW. Why would we break it up now? Uh, Let's start backwards. It's going to be October 24th, 1993. Halloween Havoc. In the main event, a Texas death match with Big Van Vader taking on Cactus Jack. For the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship, you've got Rick Rude challenging Ric Flair. We've got Sting and Sid Vicious, The Nasty Boys taking on Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio, Dustin Rhodes and Steve Austin, Lord Stephen Regal and Davey Boy Smith, Paul Orndorff and Ricky Steamboat, Ice Train, Charlie Norris, and The Shockmaster taking on Harlem Heat and The Equalizer. It's Halloween Havoc 1993. The show right before that, well, it's Fall Brawl 93. This one's from September 1993. In the main event, you've got Sting, Davey Boy, Dustin Rhodes, and the Shockmaster taking on Sid Vicious, Vader, and the Harlem Heat. For the WCW International title, Rick Rude and Ric Flair again. In a singles match, we've got Yoshi Kwan and Cactus Jack. We've got the Nasty Boys taking on Aaron Anderson and Paul Roma. Ice Train taking on Shanghai Pierce, Too Cold, and Marcus Alexander Bagwell taking on The Equalizer and Paul Orndorff. Charlie Norris and Big Sky and then Lord Steven Regal taking on Ricky Steamboat this time for the WCW World Television title. It's Fall Brawl 1993. Uh, Then we've got Beach Blast 93. This is from July of 93. In the main event we've got the Super Powers which is Sting and Davy Boy taking on the Masters of the Powerbomb Big Van Vader and Sid Vicious. Just before that a world title match with Ric Flair and Barry Windham We've got Dustin Rhodes and Rick Rude. The Hollywood Blondes, Brian Pillman and Steve Austin, taking on Paul Roma and Arn Anderson. Johnny B. Badd taking on Max Payne. Lord Steven Ringle taking on Eric Watts. Too Cold and Bagwell taking on Tex and Shanghai. And Paul Orndorf taking on Ron Simmons in a world television match. It's Beach Blast, 1993. And then your last show from 1993 that's going on the poll. February 1993, it's Super Brawl 3, and in the main event, we've got Big Van Vader taking on Sting in a White Castle of Fear strap match. We've got Barry Windham and the Great Moon for the NWA World title. Did you say say White Castle of Fear? White Castle of Fear. What the fuck? Not the little cheeseburgers, a match. (laughs) Uh, Dustin Rhodes and Max Payne for the U.S. title. The Rock and Roll Express taking on the Heavenly Bodies, which here is Tom Pritchard and Stan Lane, Cactus Jack and Paul Orndorff, Davey Boy Smith and Bill Irwin, Two Cold Scorpio and Chris Chris Benoit, and then the Hollywood Blondes, Brian Pillman and Steve Austin taking on Eric Watts and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. There's just so much talent in WCW right here. Super Brawl 3 is one of your poll options. Beach Blast 93, Fall Brawl 93, and Halloween Havoc 93. Go cruise over right now at WHW Monday. Throw down your vote. We'd love to hear what you want to hear next week. And uh, don't forget to check out our forum. It's WHWradio.com. That's where you'll see a link for this video, uh, this little miniature movie of all things spin the wheel make the deal and we're also going to have it pinned on twitter so i am at hey hey it's conrad he is at tony shivani 24 our show account is at whw monday and you'll see that video there and of course at whwradio.com it's free to join the message board we'd love to have you come out and play and develop a little bit of a sense of community with all the listeners who enjoy the show where we kind of trade ideas and questions and videos it's a good time whwradio.com and I can't help but notice, Tony, when I look at my clock right now, it's about that time.
0: Yes, it is. And I, I like to say this, Conrad. Thank God 1992 is fucking over. And thank God we're going to move on to 1993. And thank the Lord that we're going to put it all behind us. Because right now, we're at the very end of a Medusa on the pole match. It's Klondike Bill and Conrad Thompson going out at it in the center of the ring. Ooh, there's a belly bump. Ooh, there's another one. And, oh, Medusa has fallen off the pole. And here comes Tony Schiavone in to grab Medusa. And here comes Jake the Snake. He's got his snake in his hand. Fuck a fucking snake. We're out of time. WHW, what happened when? See you next week.
1: The rule of MLW Radio never stops.